0: Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, executive editor at Glossy, and today's guest is Jessica Hansen, the president and general manager of Amori Pacific US. Welcome, Jessica.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I hope you're doing really well.
0: I know you too. So, Jessica, I know we're obviously not doing this in person, unfortunately. Um, but where are you? Tell me what your what your home office life is like.
1: <laughs> um, so I float around my house. I actually um I'm very fortunate, and I know you know lots of people um, aren't able to have escaped um, New York, which has been you know quite, I think, hard on all of us that it's been the epicenter. Um, I sort of knew that it was going to get pretty bad just because of density of people, and I was really uncomfortable with my children staying in school. So we actually flew to our um, vacation home in California that actually our parents, both my husband's parents and my parents, are less than 10 miles away. Um, And they're all high risk. So it was also me having an opportunity to be able to go grocery shopping for them, pick things up so that they can reduce their exposure as well. So we're in a pretty um, nice community and um, a lot less population. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. New York is
0: crazy right now. I mean, I'm barely going outside of the house and my husband thinks I'm crazy. But again, the density issue, right? Yeah. Um, so Jessica, I think you're like in a really unique position. Obviously you manage a more Pacific's business here in the U.S., but you had a lot of foresight, I think, into what this pandemic and what the new normal was going to look like because of your Asian business. Um, could you walk us through like what that was like? And when you first started hearing about the murmurs of this virus and what it could mean to business overall?
1: Yeah. So the, um... The hard part was hearing about it early and and feeling very helpless that we couldn't do anything to help our China office. So um, China represents over a billion dollars of our total business. and um, they, of course, were you know having shutdowns and very um, having to change very rapidly. I will say that because our business overall globally has been focused on a transition to digital commerce, I do think we were better equipped than some um, to be able to shift our energies and our focus to what what immediately started to happen with e-commerce and actually has continued even in Asian countries, even though stores are reopened, the e-commerce, I'll say focus is really, really high and the the growth is still really being driven by e-commerce. It hasn't just automatically returned just because stores have opened. So in January, we definitely saw some of the changes and started to have very active conversations with the executive teams about what could happen, what we needed to do to plan our strategies and what we needed. What support did we need? Um, In February, South Korea, it's a sort of shift happened. And we definitely saw because it's our headquarters and we have so much interaction with them, we saw them very quickly start utilizing masks. Um, you know, we, we were able, I got, I still get a daily update on what's happening from an executive level. Um, what are the measures that we can put in place? Um, and then we report back every single day. So the communication is very frequent and very fluid. Um, of course, we all still, I think, feel a little helpless depending on what, what part of the world is being impacted and what can be done from a very distant location.
0: Tell me a little bit about how maybe the US response was different or similar to what was happening First, when it hit China, then when it hit South Korea, and now we're in the midst of it still in the US.
1: Sure. I, I think that the the biggest difference is our ability to work remotely. This has always been part of the, I'll say the the new American culture and and what businesses need to have integrated into their um work lives and we already had this in in APUS where that wasn't part of a more Pacific and you know I know that many I'll say more traditional companies and this is our 75 year anniversary, so we are definitely a traditional company, um, hasn't made that transition as seamlessly. So for example, um South Korea only worked from home for four days. We're now wow. on week seven. Um, And I actually made the call um, autonomously to shut down our office well before New York even put in the first mandate of 25% of non-essential workforce to work from home. We were at home a week prior to even that first response. Um, So I do, I am very proud to say that um, we have not had one employee that has had, um, that has tested positive. Um, they have had um, family members. So obviously everyone is being really careful, but I do think we reacted really quickly to make sure that people didn't put themselves at risk, either commuting or being in the office. We also started to make some adjustments. Um, Even when we were in the office, we limited the number of visitors. We immediately stocked up on uh, protective equipment, even though things weren't mandatory, we made sure that they were available available for people when maybe they didn't need to provide them for themselves.
0: Right. What were you seeing from the consumer perspective? Because you know, you obviously mentioned the Asian business has um, a reliance and maybe like a prowess about e commerce that maybe you know U.S. customers don't. So, how were you able to kind of refocus that? Like, what were you seeing from a consumer behavior perspective that? May have been different
1: globally, or even similar. Mm-hmm. So um, we're very lucky that we started a major um, undertaking and investment last year to replatform our uh, website. So we have six websites; um, three of them are quite sizable, and they have all replatformed from old older systems to Shopify. So it allowed us to be very flexible. We also have very creative people on our team. We've we've brought on a lot of new talent on to support our digital and social business. And we very quickly rallied to say, how do we shift our content, our messaging? How do we make it more seamless for a customer to get information, whether it's about a product, because now there's a there's a heightened level of wanting to educate, self-educate. And then hopefully convert to a purchase. So we wanted to make that journey more seamless for the customer. Um, where that's very different. In fact, I, I was just on. I'm part of the Beauty United group, um, mm-hmm. and I, I we have a call every Tuesday morning. And that is a very new concept. This idea of content creation to feed commerce. Um, that's still very, I'll say, a, a few steps behind, even in in the Asian. Um, territories. How do you talk about, you
0: know, skincare, which obviously Amore Pacific does so well, and you guys always had a positioning around self-care being that you're an Eastern brand. But you know, at this time when maybe customers aren't buying as much, aren't going out as much, may not really care what they look like on Zoom. How are you able to talk about um, launches and products
1: in a sensitive manner without being off-putting or pushy? Sure. So there's two things. Um, the first is that K-Beauty has already, you know, it's been now a category. Um, first, it was a trend. Now, you know, it's sizable enough where it it is unique. It has some elements to it that actually have helped us able to tell the the story about the rituals and how um Korean women have taken care of their skin they've been all about self-care it's not been um a side thing that you do it's not just been a materialistic or a um something that you do as a reaction it's it's really ingrained throughout their life and they learn very young how to take care of their skin so we've already we, we had a lot of language around that I do think we've shifted a little bit of how do we understand what is really the time that people are, have now? How do they want to spend it? Um, cleansing, it has trended up tremendously and the Korean double cleanse is one of the most effective ways to cleanse your skin, whether it is just to get super clean or whether you have... Um, pollution or makeup or dirt oils Mm -hmm. just that you know naturally are occurring in your skin so we were able to really speak to that we actually sold out of um, several of our products Um, so that's been one one major challenge that we can't so easily control is the supply and demand the other side is masking so whether it's a sheet mask, whether it's a pore mask, we have these really interesting carriers. We have biodegradable sheet masks. So we actually aren't as damaging to the environment as some others. And we have ingredients that are really good for the skin. And the the search for ingredients is really, really high right now because people want something effective. They always have, but now they have the time to research a little bit more. So we've kind of, you know, really dialed into those and said, what can we do to help people? What can we, how can we make it a little bit easier for them? Because skincare will always be pretty overwhelming. Right. What
0: about the um, the take that maybe some of your competitors have taken? You know, some of the other really big conglomerates have really diversified their business with makeup or masks or skincare, you know, very varying um, categories to kind of offset um, you know, exposure. But, you know, you're a skincare business through and through, and now you have so many more contenders out there trying to push the self-care, skincare, holistic health conversation. Has that been um, challenging or is it really just about sticking to what you know?
1: Well, I, I actually, you know, maybe I have a little bit different point of view on competition. I actually really do feel the closer we actually work together, the better we all will be. Um, So I don't really, a long time ago, I learned when you look in the rearview mirror, you look to the side and you're saying, you know, who's winning the race or who's doing it better. um, It's really effort that won't really pay off. So what I really stress to our teams is let's be true to who we are, but let's take the time to tell the stories to show that we care. So for example, on a brand like Sue, That has been, I mean, this is our longest standing brand with over 50 years of research, innovation, holistic beauty, really. I mean, every time one of our beauty creators who are licensed estheticians, they don't just ask about what's going on with your skin or your skin goals. They really talk about what's your life like? What are your eating habits? What are your sleeping habits? How do you manage stress? So that's always been part of our diagnostic tools. And so we are very, I would say, at a time when self-care is a bigger focus, our ability to be authentic is quite, it comes quite easily. Um, what I will say about, I of course look to other brands for inspiration and I'm a huge consumer. I don't just use our products, although I'm I'm pretty partial on skincare. Um, Makes sense. <laughs> but um, you know, I've been in the industry for over 20 years. There are things that not just one company can do everything well. Um, so we do look at things that have been done, and I am constantly feeding, whether my team likes it or not, things that inspire me as a consumer. I was I, I was a consumer long before I was in this industry as a professional, and I think there's some really interesting things evolving and happening that we can learn from. But I don't want to just emulate. I don't think that that does anything for anyone, quite honestly, but only drives that confusion for the customer.
0: Jessica, could you give me an example of that? Like something that you may see as inspiring or aspirational, or even maybe it could be something that you don't want to do, but something that maybe sparked a thought that, hey, could we bring this into or look at this
1: into the Amore Pacific portfolio? Absolutely. So um, the first was really a utilization of experts. So I don't think we've done a good enough job, and I think we'll we'll continue to work at it. Whether it's a makeup artist or an, you know, a, uh, a, I don't even want to say a celebrity, but a founder, um, we don't have necessarily those components. But what we do have are what are called beauty creators. This has been part. Of our business, um, whether it, it's in Asia or whether it's here, these are trained professionals that actually do a full service Korean facial. Um, we we have the we have five throughout the country. Um, one who she's been written up in Harper's Bazaar. She is an, I mean, just a gem of a person, but you really do feel that she has this knowledge that even is more accessible than going to, say, a spa, who you may not have such a relationship with that esthetician. Um, so she has traveled around. She's been trained in Korea every single year, um, and she's licensed in the U.S. as an esthetician. So we uh, put her on air on on, on the social waves and, uh, and did a, um, a, a little bit of a Q&A, answered some questions that we know we hear sort of repeatedly and then talked about application and tips and tricks and so we've done that on a couple of our other brands so we have educators and trainers um, that are doing this every day most of the time we're doing it at i'll say a very high touch level whether in bergdorf goodman or our bloomingdale's flagship but this was an opportunity to sort of bring it more to a widespread public and I think that um, other brands are doing this, I mean, multiple times a day. And that just, that allows, I think, a, um, a level of access that people are craving right now. They want to, to be able to be instructed in the comfort of their home. And um, the more knowledge that they can get, the, the, the better they feel.
0: Do you think that appetite is even more so now, not only because we're at home, but also because so many of these salons and spas are closed and,
1: and stores? Yeah. Well, and I think people have a little, a different time on their hands. So if we, if, I'll, I'll say the way that I think, and, and I try to remind myself this every day, this is a time of extreme positives and extreme negatives. On the extreme positive side, we have that time to ourselves that time we're, we're, we're now not commuting or now um, you may be even being a little bit more efficient with our time. So how are we investing in ourselves? Is it working out every day? Is it actually cleansing our skin and treating our skin in the evening or in the morning? Is it actually applying that face mask? How many times have you heard? I just don't have the time to do it. So I think this, this has allowed us to make the time to care for ourselves Um, And that's a pretty big difference. When everybody's so busy rushing to and from and has a million things to do, sometimes they're putting themselves last. On the extreme negative side, the hard part is um, not feeling guilty, right? Not feeling guilty that um, you are spending that time and that, you know, I feel horribly guilty that much of my team is still in New York and I'm in California. And it's like, if I could have brought them all with me, you know, I feel like I want to rescue everyone Um, just (laughs) to have a little bit of reprieve from that imminent danger that people feel because this thing is invisible and it affects people so differently.
0: When you think about um, the store experience, which is something that we've been talking about a lot here in the US, you know, obviously, your one of your biggest partners, Sephora, is closed, um, And I know you do an amazing business with Laneige there, you know, that's kind of like your, your millennial Gen Z brand there. When you think about how that's going to be played forward,
1: what are you thinking about? So, Sephora has actually been the best partner um, both before, b- before this and during, and what I foresee afterward. Um, I mean, I have a long standing relationship with Sephora because I used to work for Sephora. So, um, <laughs> it's no accident that we have five brands with Sephora now. But one of the reasons why we invest in them and they invest in us is because they truly are brand partners. So what we already saw, what we were already working on, on a brand like Laneige, was how to take the brand to another level. What we saw, um, you know, we've been with them for two and a half years. We saw this um, explosion of the brand and this, um, I'll say, category creation that they haven't seen with a lot of brands. So they wanted to make sure that we could, I'll say, sustain the momentum and we've been working, I mean, every moment that we have planned for both 2020 and 2021, we had already laid those plans back in the fourth quarter of last year. So our business, although not having the store business definitely is um, is hurting us, our decline is far less than any other brand that they are seeing in the category. So um, our growth on .com is tremendous. Every week we get a report and it has, that momentum has not stopped. The challenge is, is that there's pent up demand. We have gone out of stock several times and they have to keep logistically moving things around um, in order to make sure that the customer can have access to the product. Um, so I do think that um, we've all tried to hold hands and make every opportunity available. Um, but some of it, there will be some I'll say lost in, in, in this time of crisis. What, what we are able to do to regain, I think because we have really solid plans for the rest of the year, I do have a lot of optimism on where our business will end for the year.
0: When it comes to kind of that dialogue that you just spoke about and, you know, the brand support, you know, I've uh, often Sephora is called a brand builder in this space and, you know, I've seen some brands do digital animations on the site, whether it's the takeovers of Sephora.com, the Instagram lives, you know, there's a lot of different sampling efforts going on. So what's, I know you have five different brands there, so what's working for you by brand or what are some of the highlights, would you say?
1: Yeah, so I think that where Sephora has put pressure on us and rightly so is to make sure that our experience on, you know, especially from a digital experience is seamless. So, um, you know, not, not so long ago, I would say a little bit more than two years ago, our content, I would say was maybe a B minus. We're now an A plus from every, you know, you have to think about SEO and what terms are people really searching for, you have to think about what video content, what um, still shot, even you know what they famously will refer to as you know show pictures of the goop and the texture. Um, we didn't have all those assets two years ago, and quite honestly, even our global teams, um, who most of the time are the ones producing this for us, they didn't have it either. So we had to create it on our own. In fact, even in our um, relatively new offices in New York. We created a photo studio so that we could do this on demand. We didn't have to have a high production value to it, um, but to make sure that it's constant and changing and that we're listening to what the client is saying. Focusing on ratings and reviews, we've actually been able to get some key insights when looking through those immense amount of compliments and questions of what the client is actually saying. And then the third piece is from a social standpoint. We share with them what our social plans are, um, and they look different. Um, so, for example, with our luxury brands of Amora Pacific and Su, um, it is a very different collaboration that with influencers and how we're actually putting that content out there, how we're speaking to the client versus Laneige and Innisfree that are a lot more accessible. And we are utilizing more micro influencers and organic. Um, to really drive that. But, you know, again, even two years ago, our teams weren't tagging Sephora in our social. And I kept asking why, What? what's the issue? What's the fear? And the fear was that we had a pretty significant business for our brand.coms and we didn't want to be in competition. And what we've learned is the relationship is extremely complementary. We've had our Laneige, Laneige.com, AmorePacific.com, Solasu.com and innispray.com For now, almost over three years, all four of those sites, they are all collectively up over 70% year to date and our Sephora.com business is growing at a triple digit rate. So it's, it just goes to show you that it just working together makes the pie bigger instead of worrying about what size of the pie each person has.
0: Right. Jessica, when you think about those luxury brands like Suosu and Amore Pacific, you know, I've heard, you know. In China right now, there's the concept of, you know, revenge buying right now and all of these. And I've heard mixed things that some brands are really experiencing that fervor for those very expensive products. And I know here in the U.S., like brands like Biologique Griget and um, La Mer are seeing that. So what has that been like for you? Because, you know, it is a much more expensive price point. But. The the appetite from the customer is, again, fervent.
1: Mm -hmm. I think there's two sides to this. Um, The first is those who were already very interested or purchasing, maybe not purchasing to the level that they are at the moment, um, but they were already in the market. They are staying in the market. That's what we're seeing from China and from Korea. The only challenge right now in those countries and it is here too, but it's less part of our business in the U S is travel retail. The, the, the biggest piece of the luxury business has been in that traveler and that's what is lost right now, right? The level of travel is just not happening anywhere in the globe, but the, but domestic sales people from domestic customers have not shifted. So they weren't just one day using more Pacific, and the next day using a brand, a drugstore brand, or you know something found at at Target. Um, so they're staying in the market. That's the one side is there's a huge level of commitment and following of these luxury brands. The second side is that we've done a tremendous amount of marketing, sampling, messaging um, to open up. The minds of multi generations. This isn't just boomers. It's not just millennials. It's not just you know Gen X, the the forgotten generation that I'm in. (laughs) Um, But there has been there's been an appetite there. I think at times there's been a trade off. So although they've been interested in the brand, maybe they've even tried it. You know we we have done. I mean we do millions of dollars of sampling efforts every single year across our luxury brands. They the conversion rates are lower. Because the price point will always be a barrier right now. So again, that concept of time, that concept of taking care of myself, they may be investing in themselves instead of other things. So I heard the example, you know, the people who aren't able, maybe they were trading off with travel vacations. Well, they're not able to do that right now. So they're spending their money differently and in ways that they can take care of themselves. So that's where it's opening up some new opportunities to gain a new customer is that consideration set may be faring better for us at a time that people are more inwardly focused. So it's like smaller luxuries. I've
0: heard this concept of, you know, the new lipstick effect is going to be the
1: self-care effect. Is
0: that something that you feel is like
1: is holding? Absolutely. And I think that we saw that. You know, I, I lived through 2008, 2009. I was actually at Sephora <laughs> at the time. And um, boy, wow. when you're at a retailer, you feel it 10 times as much as you do when you're at a brand. Um, and we saw the same thing. We saw luxury come back faster. Um, the rebound was actually faster than any of us had expected. Um, but we saw that as well. And I think the same thing happened in, you know, luxury accessories and luxury footwear. Um, new brands were created out of that time, so not all will be lost. Sure, there definitely will be challenges, um, but there there will be shifts that 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 I would say stabilize some areas and open up new opportunities for others.
0: I know in um, Asia, some of your own branded stores have looked to what to do about the customer experience when customers finally go back to stores, you know, whether that's masks or hand sanitizer or testers. What are you thinking about here in the US because that's a considerable challenge. I mean, I can't even imagine how much Individual testers would cost, and sampling efforts would have to go up in comparison to just having a few in stores. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so um, so yeah, in in Korea, um, testers have not been removed. Um, what they well, what I will say is again, it it stems from where were they before and where are they now? What shifts have 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 been made? So in the past, testers, what um, the South Korean customer when they experience a the tester, they always use. an applicator, you know, even almost every single one of our products comes with an an applicator, but how many people actually use it in the U S so as part of their shopping (laughs) um, experience, they were well-practiced in using that in the U S not so much, right? There's been a lot of debate of whether testers were safe to begin with in the U S because of how people interact with them and how often are they cleaned? So the fact that testers were removed actually before stores even closed and very, very highly likely will not be replaced um, is posing a challenge specifically to the U.S. But it's a challenge that we, I actually embrace. Um, I'll tell you a little I'll tell you a little story that I think will demonstrate this. So we spend a lot of money in testers because it, the the cost is far greater than a sample. Actually, samples are, are, are very accessible. Um, when they're in single use, like a packet, the more deluxe right. it gets, the more expensive it gets. So one of our challenges on a brand like Amore Pacific is that, um, at Sephora, a lot of times if they don't have a sample to give to a client, but the client wants to try before they buy, because it's an expensive investment, they will dram a part of that tester into a container and have them take it home. Good good philosophy, right? They're gonna take it home. They write exactly what it is and hopefully they're going to convert to a purchase except when they don't. And they <laughs> don't over and over and over again. And we see this, we see our most expensive products empty most of the time, our tester is. So we know that that dramming is happening a lot. And so really it comes into question is the tester really serving its purpose and is it posing danger? And I think that um, th- I think that many brands, it will be a big shift. You can't possibly create a sample for every single product in your collection. But I do think on our, our most widely used products, our, what we call our engine SKUs, we will be able to serve the needs of the client with ample samples and we'll be able to shift that investment pretty easily. So we're in a pretty good place. I know not everybody's in that place, um, but I very much welcome, I think this testing of is is a sample more effective.
0: Do you think the customer, the US customer is something that the, it's something that they will get behind? Because I've heard a lot of arguments that if things get too draconian, you know, would they go to another store? Would they go to a target? Would they go to you know,
1: somewhere else and buy their beauty. I think that um, some might. I think there there may be a it's some. It may be a little bit off putting to some, but I think again in the way that it's messaged, I think as the the level of protection that an experience can have. So this is you know how it it, go, it goes beyond the tester. If they're being offered disposable masks, if they're being offered hand sanitizer, um, if they see people actually cleaning constantly, because that's also been a big debate in the US is that, you know, what are all these associates doing, and everything's a mess and dirty. And so if they see that there's a fundamental shift, I think that they are more, will be more accepting of the change. And I also think they're worried about their safety, you know, they probably should have been worried before this, right. Um, But I, I do think they will accept it. I, and I think the other part is, the level of service and the, the skills that you get from whether you're shopping in a Nordstrom or a Bergdorf or a Sephora and Ulta, it's different than when you shop in a Target. I love Target. I think Target has a place in everybody's heart for, for different reasons. But at the end of the day, of course, we because it's still open, we've all been shopping at Target. Um, <laughs> you walk the beauty aisle still at Target, and I am hard-pressed to find anybody to answer a question. So I think that's the major difference is the, the employees who actually service and, and help someone self-service. I think it's a very different experience in the prestige space versus in the mass space.
0: Jessica, while I have you, um, and you meant we've talked a lot about retail. Um, I have to ask, you know, obviously your brands are sold in many department stores, in, you know, even Sephora and JCPenney, like, you know, I know Laneige has a very big business there. What are you thinking about all this channel disruption? Because, you know, you know, some of this is ex- an acceleration of what had been happening before amongst the department stores and that Sephora and Ulta might reign supreme in the in the end of this. But how are you thinking about maybe offsetting your exposure or what are you even thinking about all of this?
1: Sure. So um, you know, like I said, e-commerce was already very top of mind for us. I think this just um, you know, sped that up. Um, so right now, where our our business, our penetration of our own brand.com's. Um, it's already doubled the penetration for year-to-date 2020 versus 2019. So our growth and our, well, I've always said, it's the channel that we can control. We can understand our customer. We can build loyalty. We can um, offer things that we just can't when we're working in the wholesale way. Um, so I think that's the the, the major um, opportunity. It's an opportunity and a challenge. I think that, you know, Companies like Nordstrom and Neiman's, Bloomingdale's and Sephora and Ulta, they, they absolutely are necessary in part of the whole ecosystem. But I think that they also understand that everybody's going to have to shift. We can't control that part. I can't control if there's a bankruptcy. I can't control what happens there. Um, but I can control what happens in my own environment. So um, we were already, I'll say, on this omni channel approach, trying to figure out what are the priorities and how do we feed them. Now it's become a little bit clearer. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jessica. It's great having
0: you today. Um, and please stay safe and healthy in these next couple of weeks. We'll be back in New York soon, I hope. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.